Broadcasting from a remote corner of the front office of Grave Diggers Local 16, it's Six Foot Plus, the podcast of music and more for those who like it spooky.
the skin and let us in right next to your heart. Why, it's our favorite part. It's that steady beat that keeps us going from day to day until that final talk has ticked. Ah, in comes a grave digger with resolve and steel in hand and heel to sweep up the remains, tucking them away in a patch of dirt closer to the heart of the world. And when your body is nestled in deep, what is the beat that you hear? Why, it's six foot plus, deep underground, away from the light, where wrong is right, out of sight. Yes, underground, on the creepy side of music. Six foot plus, a spotlight for horror-inspired genres of music, such as psychobilly, horror punk, demented surf, mutant garage, which really isn't a genre, but whatever, and really, anything we happen to dig up. Weird stuff for all the fiends, the freaks, the goths, and the geeks. Our podcast is like a cemetery. Everybody is welcome. Of course, there might be racist cemeteries out there. <laughs> racist Graveyard, coming soon from the asylum, only on sci-fi. But this isn't sci-fi, this is six foot plus. And if you want to show your support for this little slice of spooky, you can do so in a few ways. First, subscribe, rate, and review Six Foot Plus. Every review and rating on iTunes boosts our visibility. We always like new listeners, so why, you can also tell a friend about Six Foot Plus. We also have a plethora of social media accounts, so you can stay on top of everything spooky that comes our way. Facebook.com slash Six Foot Plus, at Six Foot Plus Podcast on Instagram, and on Twitter, it's at Six Foot Plus. Number six, FTPLUS. We're at soundcloud.com slash six foot plus as well, but I'm not entirely sure what to do with that. Maybe I might just update the most recent 10 episodes of the podcast. Uh, who knows? Whenever I decide what to do with it, well, dear listener, you'll be the first one to know. For those of you not in the know, I'm Strange Jason, curator, ghoul, gravedigger, all-around good guy, and host of this little creep show. We've got a lot on this episode. We're covering some of the music that came out last year that, well, we didn't touch upon <laughs> in the prior episodes. Though the further we go into 2015, the more new music we'll have for you. We do have some new music on this episode. You'll have to wait and find out. But we also have Scarecrows, Six Six Sinners, Monster Matt Patterson might be one of those. He swings by for another Monster Matt Minute, and we go down deep. Six feet deep, almost six foot plus, into the new album from Calibris in an installment of Six Things. We started this show off with some surf music because it's dreary and cold outside for most of the continental United States. Black bats and swamp surf. Let's keep the warm thoughts going with the 427s and Night of the Living Surf.
Hi, this is Mitch Markowitz at FearFest 2013. I'm here representing the hilarious House of Frightenstein. I was the associate producer, head writer, and super hippie. Also, the last will and testament of Rosalind Lee. My part on that was key, and my expression in the film was, close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. You're listening to Six Foot Plus. Everybody should be. and the Shaman with Stratosphere Mortuary theme, and Skeleton before that with Surf Madness. Following up on last week, a fundraising effort has been started for the wife and daughter of Garrett Kirkpatrick, aka Tank Johnson of Deadbolt. If you've never met Tank, but like the music he played with Deadbolt, you can go to gofundme.com L084RW to donate. That's L084RW, all lowercase. If you can, please give. We thank you. In other news pertinent to the creepy world, the Ghostbusters reboot slash sequel slash restart slash fan fiction announced its all-female cast. Director Paul Feig, known for Bridesmaids, The Heat, and the upcoming April release, Spy, tweeted a picture of four women, Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones, following up with another tweet that read, In other news, Ghostbusters will be hitting the theaters July 22nd, 2016. Save the date! The internet, as predicted, decided to lose its shit because there's no other hot-button topic at the moment than the reboot of a franchise that's been dormant for nearly 26 years. Ha <laughs> ha! Seriously, a man and woman in 1989 
could have gone to see Ghostbusters 2 on their date, had sex, the woman could have gotten pregnant, and that kid will be turning 27 when the next Ghostbusters film comes out. In fact, that 27-year-old could have a kid. There's possibly two generations of people since the very last Ghostbusters movie. Think about that. With such a length of time between movies, I don't think we can really say, well, hopefully it's done in the same vein as the original, because nearly three decades have passed since the last one. It's going to be its own movie, and, well, I would hope so. Also, on the internet, a lot of the this is an outrage over this new movie and its all double X chromosome cast overlooks that, well, there's already been female Ghostbusters both in the original cartoon series as well as the 90s-tastic EXTREME Ghostbusters. And in the comic world, well, Ghostbusters have been kind of crazy. Ghostbusters really isn't that kind of sanctified intellectual property. If you've paid attention, <laughs> there's been these comic books where the Ghostbusters have met with the aliens of Mars attacks. Fox and Mulder of the X-Files, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, this property has not nor will ever be sacred. It's been a corporate entity for a while. It has not gone untouched by outside hands as some people would like to think. I have some reservations about this particular director, mainly because the movies he's done have been primarily comedies of a certain type. Whether or not that translates well over to Ghostbusters, well, that's left to be seen. But as for the casting, well, if this big screen depiction of women donning the proton packs brings legitimacy to the fan fiction and cosplay that invested female Ghostbuster fans have done on their own for years, well, good. Let it be empowering. Let it give big screen representation. It'll be further evidence that the term Ghostbuster doesn't apply strictly to a single subset of the overall population. Plus, hopefully, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, there's an unconfirmed blurb about what the story might be, and I hope it's true, because what I read seemed kind of interesting. It wasn't terribly bold or daring, but when you're resurrecting a dead property, one that's been dormant for nearly 30 years, well, baby steps. Baby steps. So good on you, Hollywood, and all female Ghostbusters. Maybe for the sequel, you can get a woman director. Ha <laughs> ha, novel fucking idea, eh? With all that said and done, let's get to busting ourselves, because busting makes us feel good. Here now, a trio of songs, two of which are exactly the same. Try to figure it out without crossing the streams.
and welcome to a commercial for Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. I'm Brad. And on the podcast that is known as Hello, This is the Doom Show, we talk about Giallo movies, slasher movies, horror movies. We're going to interview Cary Grant live in the studio. We're going to interview Lucio Fulci in the studio, folks. We're going to put Cary Grant in the studio with Lucio Fulci. It's the interview you never thought would happen. I'm going to wear my Vincent Price slacks. I'm going to wear my Citizen Kane wristwatch and monocle. And now Brad is going to recite the Pledge of Allegiance in Portuguese. Brad, go. I don't have Portuguese. Go! Go! Stop hitting me! You're a natural actor. Yeah. You can listen to us at hellodoomedshow.podomatic.com or you can find the archive at doomedmoviethon.com. So, dear listener, I was going through the mail today and I noticed that I got a Get Well card from one D. Cronenberg. How considerate. I tell you, after having my head blown apart about two weeks ago, everything is healing nicely. Delightful news, I'd say. 
But Dr. Killington has warned me that until I'm 100%, I really shouldn't expose myself to any hazardous thoughts. So I've been watching daytime talk shows all this while, and I can tell you, it's all good. Though I think I do have to be careful because, I mean, if there's anything that might cause a severe headache and for my brainstem to jut out and strangle me, it's definitely the Monster Mat Minute. Cool morning, maniacs! <laughs> yes, that's right. It is I, your fiend, your truly, Monster Matt Patterson, the man of a thousand bad monster jokes hailing all the way from Pennsylvania. Hey yo! And hey yo to you sitting in the corner of the tomb, you freaky thing, you. <laughs> hey, Igor! Igor! Yes, Mr. What is it? Uh, hey! Do you want to watch a movie about Obama's vice president? It's called, uh, Forbidden Planet. <laughs> no, master, it's Forbidden Planet. Sheesh. Why not to read, dum-dum? Oh, <laughs> Igor. Well, all right, never mind, Mr. Fancy Pants. Let's just dive into the jokes. In Phantasm, who is the tall man's favorite singer? Boy! George! <laughs> I'll tumble for you. Okay. Um, moving right along. Let's try this one. This is uh, this is gonna be interesting. Are you ready? Let's try it. When the strangest things do occur, they call up Roger Whitaker. Solving things like mysteries, he does it all for a small fee. His whistling attracts tons of ghosts, he dabs them all from coast to coast. He's not here to lay down a rap, he sings them all into a trap. <laughs> William Tell who? <laughs> okay, let me catch my breath. <sighs> Woo! Okay. Uh, let's try this one out. Hmm? I thought we were in trouble. We were nearly in shock. Crowded by a group that were surely Morlocks. What to do with these humanoids? Their unkept hair all white and skin of blue. It's not quite as it seems, but we still had some screams. For we are in line for a taco truck at Bonnaroo. <laughs> a bunch of long-winded gobbledygook for you this time, maniacs. And there's more to come. Here we go. Uh, take it away. Please. Well, since my baby left me. I found a new place to dwell. There's Norman's taxidermied animals in the Bell Eats Hotel. Now, baby, don't know if I should shower there, baby. Don't know if I should shower. Cause if I shower there, I could die. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Norman Bates. Oof. All right, let's shorten it up, huh? 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 Okay. What film combines car sharing with Stephen King's tale of machines taking over the world? Maximum Uber Drive. <laughs> okay, maniacs, are you are you crying uh, truce? You've had enough. You surrender. <laughs> well, here's your final punishment. What's a pickup line between two terrifids? 
Hey, nice stems. <laughs> all right, maniacs, that's all the time we have for now. I've beaten you up quite enough with my punishment. So until next time, remember, Ouija board wishes and cadaver dreams. Bye-bye. This has been the Monster Matt Minute with Monster Matt Patterson. Congratulations, you survived. For more from the man of a thousand bad monster jokes, follow Monster Matt on Twitter at number one Monster Matt. That's the number one Monster Matt. Keep track of Monster Matt's conventions appearances, his artwork, and info on his new book, Ha Ha Horror, over at his website, Ha Ha Horror, found online at hahahorror.com. Fresh off the presses, that was Whitbats, and the title track to the new release, The Heart of the Universe Only Pumps Death. It's out on CD and limited 5-inch vinyl. Get both. I am. News, news, news. Let's see, do we have any more news for you? Hmm, news, news, news. Well, we've got some news on some upcoming 2015 surf releases. We can expect records from Satan Pilgrims, the Madeira and the Tomorrow Men, as they're all said to have new albums out this year, along with Perato Ketchup. They'll be releasing their first full length. Fantastic. Matt Heaton and the Electric Heaters are working on something. So are Crazy Eights. Kill Baby Kill will try to follow up Human Sounds Volume 1 this year with Volume 2. But until then, go on over and give them your money. Their tour van broke down recently and they need a new one, plus some kind of incentive to keep on going. The rumored 2014 release for the Atomic Mosquitoes will come out this year, and the Coffin Daggers confirmed what Craig Chaos told you at the start of the month, that we can expect a new album from them sometime in the spring, maybe in the early summer. Ah, uh, surf music makes the world go round. 
Can you spin me right round, right round, like a record? So let us spin some music from last year. This now, the French psychobilly band Scarecrows, inviting you to ride this torpedo! the Inseminoids, always reliable for a good time. It's been a while since the last installment of Six Things, the audio review segment of this show. I'd like to have it at least once per month, perhaps once every other week. If you have an album you'd like me to review on this very program, 
Contact at sixfootplus.com is the best way to get in touch with me. Or perhaps you can make a request on Twitter or Facebook or any of those other social media platforms. We've barely started the year 2015 and we already have one of Horror Rock's biggest releases of the year. It's out and causing havoc. Two weeks ago, Calabrese unleashed their new album, Lust for Sacrilege, a follow-up to 2013's Born with a Scorpion's Touch. But the band is taking things away from the beaten path into a dark, unfamiliar territory. Does Lust for Sacrilege leave you hot and hungry for more? Or does this new album only add up to a cruel tease? Let's find out when we talk six things about Calabrese and Lust for Sacrilege. Number one. Calabrese is a trio of brothers, actual brothers, no Ramones thing here, from Arizona, who have been at the rock and roll game for close to 15 years. Guitarist Bobby, bassist Jimmy, and drummer Davey have been involved in the quote-unquote scene since the MySpace days. And in that time, they have released six full-length albums, the latest being Lust for Sacrilege. The first four, 13 Halloween's The Traveling Vampire Show, They Call Us Death, and Dayglow Necros developed the band's signature mix of rock and roll and horror business taking inspirations from metal, punk, and even goth. But the prior release, last year's Born with a Scorpion's Touch, was the start of something different for Calabrese. The band started writing songs not about vampires, zombies, ghosts, or monsters. How shocking. No, the band started a gradual shift away from horror spook show to more grindhouse themes. Motorcycles, vigilantes, being a loner. In other words, Calabrese was growing up. They were hitting puberty. <laughs> My God, they might have even started smoking. <gasps> oh, I'm clutching at pearls. Or a more appropriate way to say it, Calabrese started maturing. And this continues on Lust for Sacrilege. The themes are not that of kid stuff, and this is either the best thing or the worst thing, depending on your perspective. Ah, no matter how we try, sometimes we just cannot help from growing up. Yes, even that monster kid inside of you one day will have to put down the Fangoria magazine and perhaps pick up a Black Sabbath LP. <laughs> it happens to all of us in one way or another, especially if you've been at a certain artistic expression for over a decade. Number two, Lust for Sacrilege represents not just Calabrese's ongoing growth, but it's a bit of a trust exercise. Calabrese trusts that their experiments will lead them somewhere they want to be, but more importantly, they trust that the fan base they've built up over a decade will follow. With Scorpion's Touch, the band knew they were taking a risk by not focusing on the typical horror rock themes that they were known for. But they kind of knew and trusted that the fans would not leave them in mass. Similarly, Lust for Sacrilege continues that deviation into new subject matter, but also into a newer, bolder, darker music direction. 
and I think the fans will follow Calabrese along for the ride. It's safe to say that this album is not like any other release from the band, and that's good. The songs are longer, the themes are darker, they're more abstract than on, let's say, Deglo Necros or any of the other previous Calabrese albums. And the band is shifting away from some of its trademark imagery. Gone are those leather jackets that have become synonymous with the band. I think they've foregone the leather because people kept on thinking they were rockabilly, psychobilly greaser types. <laughs> so lust for sacrilege is a bit of a rebirth and every rebirth is about reinventing oneself. With that said, Number three. Radio killed the video star. As I've mentioned, Calabrese has maintained one of the most active online presence since the very beginning of social media, perhaps even before then. Oh, they were on MySpace, adding you as friends and keeping you updated with the release of their first EP and the following album, along with all tour dates and developments from this band. And from there, they have been everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even developing a highly successful YouTube channel. It was on this YouTube channel that they used to post a web series, The Calabrese Adventures. But if you were to go over there today, those videos are gone. Now, why is that? Uh, you'll have to ask the band yourself, but if I were to wager a guess, I would say it's because of people like me who keep bringing up the Calabrese Adventures. Because it's in that web series that the band, well, they went on adventures. Adventures that would often portray them as comic book characters or as heroes that eventually fought an evil vampire who had stolen their Christmas presents. Yeah, that band is not the band on Lust for Sacrilege, no. <laughs> While Lust for Sacrilege is not so jarring or extreme of a change from the past that it leaves diehard fans cold, those expecting traditional anthems about ghost wolves or undead motorcycle gangs, they're going to be disappointed. The horror is less, for lack of a better word, cartoonish on this album. It's more subtle, more introspective than outlandish. Following on trends of their prior release, the dark elements are less supernatural and more, well, plausible. Instead of creatures, it's man that's the monster, with murderous and sinister imagery on songs like New York Ripper, Flesh and Blood, and the title track, Lust for Sacrilege. This version of Calabrese is not the band that wants to be known for a video where their bassist was turned into a purple puppet, described as looking like Barney the Dinosaur Schlong. I think Calabrese has always been very smart and very savvy, both on the stage and online. The way they approach how their brand is represented on social media is impressive. Any band that wants to be serious about making music their livelihood could benefit from emulating Calabrese and how they control what exactly represents them on the internet. I think it was during a period of what are we going to do with ourselves that they tried this video series and for a while it was very entertaining, but they've changed. They're not a performance group, they're a band. And when the band's message changes, well, everything else changes. 
I think Calabrese doesn't want the fans to entertain the thought that they will one day somehow revert back to the type of band that went on cartoonish adventures. Lust for Sacrilege supports Calabrese's actions that they've grown up. And well, despite the fun they used to have, there's no going back. This is the damn Number 4. Under the Influence Prior to the release of Lust for Sacrilege, there were a few names being bandied about. Typo Negative, The Cure, Sisters of Mercy, and of course, Danzig, as some of the creative forces navigating the band on creating this release. And you can tell, the typo influence is evident, from the opening track, The Dark is Who I Am, all the way to the end. Plus, to me, Lust for Sacrilege invokes Typo Negative's Christian Woman, even if both songs are extremely different from one each other. It's the subject matter and the attitudes. It's clear that Calabrese has reached into a different pantheon of rock gods for inspiration. The songs here on this album are slower and longer. Half of the tracks on the album flirt with the four minute mark, a point rarely hit on at least the last two albums. These influences aren't really out of left field. Calabrese has always been proud metalheads, especially followers of the Church of Danzig. And of course, embracing these different influences will produce a much different sound. And I kind of like it. The guitars aren't as light as before, but they're heavier and they're fuller, they're fuzzier. It's very proto-metalish. I dig. I really dig. Other reviews of the album have cited Danzig 4 as a possible influence on the record, and I can sort of see that. But I've also seen Danzig as such an ever-present figure in the band's development as an influence and inspiration that, well, it was only inevitable that they would go this dark. Yes, it was all a matter of time. Number 5. Things Get Messy. And it's time for me to say this. For the longest time, I could not get into this band. I liked Calabrese and I respected what they did and how they conducted themselves. They remained one of the hardest working bands out there. I'm pretty sure they tour at least half of the year. That is impressive. Also, from what I've heard from other bands, they're some of the nicest, most respectful guys around. But with that said, the music in the past just didn't really grab me. And that's not a knock on them. I mean, I've always held that Calabrese's music has been of high quality, even from the start. They have this signature polished sound, one that was established from the get-go. It's melodic, that's boosted by the harmonies between Bobby and Jimmy's vocals, and strengthened by a precise composition when it comes to songwriting. There's a cohesion with every song off of every album, and the production has always been top-notch, one that has sought out to amplify the band's strengths. Yeah, Calabrese has always been awesome at what they do, even if what they've done has never really grabbed me. I think that because they were so good at defining the sound of this quote-unquote scene, they might have gotten trapped by it. When you set the standards, you're expected to uphold them, and that is a cage of a crown that is very heavy around your head. So what makes Lust for Sacrilege so successful to me is that it doesn't adhere to the standards that Calabrese has set in the past. There are risks and there are chances taken. Not everything works for me on this album. 
Yeah, but there's a lot of it that does. When they released the video, Flesh and Blood, the first song off of the album back in the middle of December, it was stuck in my head for weeks. No other Calibri song has had such a lasting effect on me in the past. I've enjoyed my time, I mean, I'd listen to Dayglow Necros or They Call This Death, have a blast, but then I'd move on, a little bit unfazed. But Flesh and Blood was different. You know, the song's a little bit repetitive, but it's darker, it's slower, and somehow it got its hooks inside of me and never let go. That made me think that sometimes imperfections can be just as successful as something that's highly polished. And there is some grit in this album, there are a few cracks, and that makes it really interesting. Though, uh, the shift is still gradual. Lust for Sacrilege contains some of the trademark rock anthems like Teenage Crime Wave, Lords of the Wasteland, and Gimme War. There, of course, are things on this for longtime fans of Calibri's. They won't be put off. But there's something very different about this album, and I really hope that they continue up on it. I hope the band continues to delve into different areas of horror and how to portray them like they did in New York Ripper. I mean, that is if they continue to write about such subject matter. They could go completely internal and be more personal on the next album, not write about monsters at all. Yeah, I mean, Lust for Sacrilege is kind of a silly of a song title and an album name, but the song itself, it's good. There are some things that don't catch me as strongly as others on the album, but as I said, there are more things that work on here than don't. Number 6 One of the first reviews for Lust for Sacrilege calls it a, and I quote, A righteous middle finger raised high in a veritable fuck you to others in a genre of horror punk. Which, first off, it's not. And second, rude. Lust for Sacrilege isn't a revolutionary horror punk album because it's not a horror punk album. I don't think Calabrese has ever called themselves horror punk. I mean, for the longest time, I think their web domain was horrorrock.com or something like that. I think Calabrese has been smart and has tried to keep away from definitions, and this new album confirms that they don't want to be confined by one label or another. They want the freedom to experiment, to try all different types of things, and I applaud that. Lust for Sacrilege is still important. It's important because it shows that Calabrese is a band that can write successful rock songs that expand beyond the subject matter of vigilantes and vampires. It shows that after over a decade as a band, they're willing to go beyond their comfort zone and try new things. And that's needed to help band evolve, but also to help it stay alive. I think this is the album that allows Calabrese to open up and expand their sound. And that's why Lust for Sacrilege is important. It also has me excited to see what is coming next. There might have been a point in your development when you found that one book or that one album or that one idea that suddenly makes your world bigger than what you thought it was. Suddenly, everything seems new and exciting and holds a lot of promise and potential. It's scary, but it's also engaging, exhilarating, and that's sort of how I feel about Calabrese with Lust for Sacrilege. I don't think this is the final stage of the band's evolution, and I don't think they think that either. They're going to continue to grow and progress, and this album has me excited for the future of Calabrese. 
They're going to try new things. Some things will work, some things won't. And it doesn't really matter because it'll be entertaining. It'll be interesting. And if anything, Lust for Sacrilege has me excited for the future, no matter how dark it gets. <laughs> Here's the latest cut from that new album. You can find the video over at youtube.com slash user slash horror rock. And it does rock. This is from Lust for Sacrilege. It's Down in Misery by Calabrese. Oh! 
a shame you have to die. Noticed the ads on Six Foot Plus as of late? Did you know that it costs these people absolutely nothing to advertise on this podcast? How much would it cost you to advertise? Absolutely nothing. It's a program that allows for some mutual assured promotion. If you want to advertise your product, service, or event on Six Foot Plus, send an email to contact at sixfootplus.com with the subject advertising. You can also check out all the details on the advertise on six foot plus section of sixfootplus.com. That's the number six ftplus.com.
Dr. Geek and the Freak Show with Ghoul Shock, and before them, the Lurking Corpses with The Leech and the Worm. Quite a lot of talking on this episode, dear listener, and when I look at the clock, why, shut my mouth. The haunting hour is nearly over, and we better get back to work. Working stiffs, after all, is what we're about. And we're about finished with this episode of Six Foot Plus. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Barring any winter catastrophes or exorcisms or contract negotiations, we should be back next Friday to help christen your February. We have some clever shows for you on tap. February is when we celebrate love. Friday the 13th, Women in Horror Month, and one of the most important women in all our creepy little genres. Who exactly that is? Well, you'll just have to tune in to find out. In the meantime, read Gravediggers Local 16, found online over at gravediggerslocal.com. Craig Chaos has been active there recently, along with Weird John and the Atomic Mystery Monster. Hmm, I better get over there myself and put up a few opinions of my own. But if you want to get them from the source, hit me up on Twitter, at SixFootPlus. Go out and enjoy this weekend. It might be our last. Just be careful you don't get lost and wind up taking a wrong turn into hell. Though, if you're like six six sinners, winding up somewhere south of there doesn't mean the party has to stop. Plus, with all the cold weather we're having, maybe heading down below is what's needed. Hmm, I might have to join them. So until next time, dear listener, think warm. Warm, evil thoughts for me. Hmm.
Six Foot Plus, episode 137. Under the skin, where it's warmest. Under the skin, where it's the warmest. This has been Six Foot Plus, a GDL 16 production. To support, subscribe, rate, review, and recommend Six Foot Plus. The theme song, Carpe Noctum, performed by the Madeira. Shivala, Yvonne. Urban Graveyard Lounge music, performed by Kava Khan. Mahalo. Monster Matt Patterson of the Monster Matt Minute can be found online at hahahorror.com. To find out about all the music you heard on this episode, as well as all past episodes and all those important links, go to Six Foot Plus. That's the number six, F-T-P-L-U-S dot com. <laughs>